Hello and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. 1989 Cedarville graduate Dana Gresh has made a life-changing impact on the lives of hundreds and thousands of girls and young women. Her True Girl Worldwide Ministry has provided resources to girls, teens, and moms to help them in their walks with Christ. Her goal is to raise young women who are confident in who they are, regardless of what culture says, because it is based on God's enduring word. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, your host. At Cedarville University, we've come off an amazing homecoming weekend. If you were on campus for the festivities, you know exactly what I mean. It's truly an exciting time to be part of the Cedarville family as enrollment continues to increase. And it's apparent that with $95 million raised in our 125 million, 1,000 days transform campaign, that many people are on board with the mission and direction of Cedarville University. It's truly a great time to be here. And with that said, let me welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast, my guest today, Dana Gresh. Hi, Mark. So um, just to, to begin, uh, somewhat on a maybe lighthearted uh, note, I don't want to be really serious from the beginning, but you know, how's life in State College, Pennsylvania, first of all? I mean, where is State College, Pennsylvania? <laughs> Well, State College, Pennsylvania is um, the center of nowhere, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Um, we're a university town. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons I love Cedarville so much is I get to see firsthand, sadly, some of the um, uh, crippling effects of secular education on the minds yeah. of young people. And so it's a university town. Penn State University is here. Yeah. And um that's about it. The, it's the largest stadium, one of the largest stadiums in the country. And when people come in for a football game, they park in cow pastures. That gives you an idea oh. of what the area looks like. Um, and we live on a little tiny hobby farm with horses and fainting goats and llamas and donkeys and peacocks and Bob and Dana Gresh just kind of um, when we're not serving the Lord. We are hanging out with God's creatures and unwinding. It's a beautiful little place, but it's kind of not a lot going on here. Sleepy. So there are, Dana, there's a lot of topics that I want to talk about today. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about your ministry, uh, your life as a follower of Jesus. But let me really first start by congratulating you on being named the Cedarville University 2021 Alumnus of the Year. That's a tremendous honor. What were your thoughts when you received the news that you were getting this honor? Well, first, I just thought there must be a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> they really, they, they had a funny day when they made this decision. I, you know, I just, I, I'm shocked. But then I cried. I was tearful and it was, they were happy tears because um, in many ways, you know, I haven't lived a perfect life. I haven't lived a sinless life. And I think when you get honored that, the Lord somehow does do some redemption, even in those deep places that you think, oh, these things were all fixed and healed. Yeah. There's an unworthiness that we carry with us. I think maybe until the day we're with Jesus and we look yeah. into his eyes face to face. And so it was really just a sweet moment of healing and encouragement for me. Did Bob think he got, we got the wrong Gresh? Bob, no. <laughs> 
Bob, Bob said, no, he didn't say that at all. He was thrilled <laughs> out of his mind. He's so excited. That's fabulous. I'm sure he was. I just, I love talking to Bob. He's just a, um, full of energy and a lot of great thoughts. And, uh, that's, yeah, yeah he's wonderful. That he so, is. Yeah. Do you think, uh, this recognition gives you a platform maybe to encourage future alumni in their academic, professional, or spiritual development? Is there, is there a way that you can use this, uh, to further uh, God's glory? Well, I think, you know, for years, I think since I wrote my first book in 2000, I've been um, platforming Cedarville because yeah. I'm proud of my experience there. Um, I'm, I believe a lot. I remember when I was an organizational communications major, comparing the experience that I was having to a friend who was in a big public university and she was like stressed out because she was, I think a sophomore or a junior and she had to give her first speech or something. And, you know, I was writing multiple speeches. I was writing multiple papers and that was really not the norm for her. Um, and I thought, man, at, at a smaller institution, you truly are able to be pressed harder, mm -hmm. to be more accountable for your work, to be trained more one-on-one. -on -one. And I'll tell you what, Mark, my, when I take interns from Cedarville to this day, they outperform interns from anywhere else. I secure them. They are excellent communicators. They are hard workers. They are diligent. They're gifts and their abilities are exploited by their time at Cedarville in the best way possible. So um, do I think that this title will help me further that? Yes, probably. Um, but I've been proud of my university for a really long time. So it's not going to change things dramatically for me. Yeah. And your point about the Cedarville students that you take as interns or, or higher, you know, I hear that similar story from Jeff Reap and Career Services and, and employers that that uh, they come back to Cedarville because there's something unique about our students, not that they're any more special than anyone else, but that they're, they're trained in a way um, and their character is, is impeccable. And so to hear yeah. that from you, it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear. And so thanks yeah. for, for, for sharing that. Uh, as we have already learned in the podcast, Dana Gresh lives a full life in, in ministry and with her family. As we learned, she's a wife, she's a mom. Um, she ministers to people all over the country. She lives on a farm and she's an author. So with all that, that to, to be able to accomplish all those roles must take a lot of organization. Dana, how do you, how do you manage your life? So you have a good work life balance that, so that you're not really uh, getting burned out in any way. Well, that is not an easy thing. And in the last few years, I took on the role of being the co-host of the Revive Our Hearts podcast with Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth. So that's another part-time job that I do. And um, I, one of the things I fight really hard for is Sabbath rest. Okay. I believe, I believe strongly that the Lord talks about it, teaches it. It's not something that he um, gave us a buy on under the new covenant. There is still this sense of our need to rest and refuel. So um I am a type A personality. I love to work. I love, love, love to work, but we all need rest. So I schedule, um, I have a pie chart in my home office where I have how I used to live, which was almost all the pie was work. And there was a little bit like sleep, eat. And I have a pie <laughs> chart that, that is like, um, 
you know, work gets this much of my day, um, rest gets this much of my day, play gets this much. And I have to like really mentally force myself to schedule things in. So for example, on Monday mornings, I wake up at 5 a.m. with a team of women. I write an online live video cast that goes live at nine for Revive Our Hearts. It's called Grounded. We started during the pandemic to give women hope and perspective, and it's just taken off. We have 90,000 women now listening every week to this podcast and never expected that. We just wanted to get women through those first few weeks of shutdown. So the thing is, um, we, that takes till 11 in the morning, Monday nights, we do our live online Bible study for tweens and their moms. So that means, um, from 4 PM till 10 PM, I'm preparing for that, doing the Bible study and the, doing the aftermath. So my schedule from, uh, two o'clock to four o'clock is blocked off for me to go work out. And if I don't do that, I won't do that. Right. So like I have a paid spot with a trainer. Uh, that's what it required. That's what I have to do that. If I don't do that, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to play. I have to schedule it into my life. And I have found that, yeah, I can go a really long time without any rest and play, but I do burn out and that's not healthy. And it's not a good example for the body of Christ. I'm interested, Dana, in maybe the backstory of why you I mean, maybe you and Bob decided to pursue a ministry that Pure Freedom offers to people all over the country. What, what's the backstory? Why, why the passion? Where's, where does the passion come from? Yeah. Well, the original, uh, the launch of the Pure Freedom ministry really grew out of my healing from the Lord from sexual pain as a teenage girl. Okay. I was, uh, I felt a really deep call to the Lord when I was eight years old to serve him as a missionary or a Bible teacher, got really busy about that right away. I made a flag for our family devotions, the Barker family fellowship. And I announced to my mom and dad that God called me to be a missionary, a Bible teacher. I needed to start practicing right now. So this is what time family devotions will be. Please report for duty. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's when I talk about type A, I mean, I'm type A and, um, I really served the Lord, uh, you know, volunteering in my church through high school. I was a missionary for child evangelism fellowship. Um, just loved Jesus, loved him so much still do, yeah. but was blindsided by sexual temptation as a teenager. And, um, you know, at, in the, in the eighties, nineties, that was still not a very talked about thing true love weights, which brought some good things to the conversation and some not good things to the conversation, the purity movement, again, some good things, not all good things. The conversation was one that, um, I couldn't really talk to anybody about my sin because there didn't feel like there was room for girls like me in the conversation about sexual ethics. And so I get really a lot of not nice male for being part of the purity movement um, for the parts that maybe weren't the healthiest. But I entered the conversation terrified because I thought it wasn't being done exactly right. Now, I didn't go in there with accusations about, hey, I don't think it's cool at all that you talk about somebody that's not a virgin is like chewed up gum. Who wants that? Like there were all these terrible object lessons in the eighties and nineties right. that 
really just weren't tasteful and made girls like me feel so shameful. Um, instead I said, I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm going to go in here with a gracious commentary on the fact that God gives us second chances. And I wrote, and the bride wore white seven secrets to sexual purity as a girl who'd really messed up, but had received the second chance that the Lord gives each of us in our mess. And that was the impetus. I mean, I didn't set out to start a ministry. I just wanted to have a voice and give other girls a voice for um, a conversation I thought was a little bit incomplete. And that turned into something pretty magnificent. And I'm thankful for that. How long has the ministry been going? I started doing, my first book came out in 2000, but I started doing retreats for girls in 1996. So what's the math on that? A lot of years, a couple of decades and a half. <laughs> yeah. So you've been doing it for quite some time. Um, what, what, what are the biggest issues facing today's teens and young adults that you're dealing with? Oh, well, um, just truth, truth mm. across the board. You know, how do they find it? How do they understand it? The whole, um, you know, just deconstructing their faith. And it's never bad to look at our faith. It's never bad to look at our faith and say, what of our faith experience is from God, from God's word and authentic and what has become tradition and comfort for us. I, I'm reading this Bonhoeffer book right now, and it's a great book, um, Life Together. I really like it, except he goes on for a whole page about how upset he is about three-part harmony. And <laughs> he just thinks that's really ungodly because how dare you in the unified voice of God's word being sung out to the Lord, um, show off and let your voice go off in a place that everybody can hear you individuating. And I was oh. like, how funny, like we've been doing this forever where we get upset about things that even the greats of the faith, the a martyr of the faith, you know, it's good to deconstruct in the sense of saying what's truth and what's not truth. But what's happening is truth is just getting kind of um, crucified in the conversation. And so I'm really concerned about that. And obviously the topic of gender and sexuality is one of the biggest areas where teens are losing their faith and we have to enter into that conversation carefully, lovingly, and without fear. Do you see that uh, the assault on truth more significant now than when you first started just because of the culture oh, yeah. that we live in? Oh yeah, absolutely. Of course. Um, just going back to, you know, when I started in the nineties that we, we still were really in a Christian culture. We are Correct. no longer a Christian culture no. at all in any way, shape or form. And so there's not an assumption that people would know Jesus, love Jesus, understand who Jesus is. They're just going to lump him in there with other thoughts and philosophers. And um, if you don't start with the presupposition that he is God, of course, then the things he said are optional, not right. truth. Right. So, so yeah, it's much murkier. It's so much more difficult. So you're dealing with um, your, your new ministry also now includes boys with uh, born to be brave. Correct. So yeah, right. what, what's the age bracket that you, that your ministry deals with boys and girls? 
Well, we have tween ministry for like seven to 12 year olds and then teen resources. We occasionally do teen tours and teen Bible studies um, for girls. So, you know, up to the age of 19 or so the boys, oh, they are so fun. The born to be brave tour is a blast. I can't wait to get that back on the road. We we do have some born to be brave discipleship tools for fathers and sons, but that's more like seven to 14. Um, but the girls, we have ministry opportunities for them from about the age of seven to 17. So when I think about the age bracket, and then I think of bo- uh, boys in general, I would think it, it could be difficult to keep their attention when you're on the road, when you're in the, in, in the touring show. Uh-huh. How, how do you do that? Okay. So the wheel of destruction comes in really handy for the boys. My husband, <laughs> my husband built this, ah, it's, it really has to be seen to believe you have to Google born to be brave wheel of destruction, but it's this enormous tractor trailer wheel that we prop up with trusses and there are lights and it's all choreographed to music and sound. And they have this wheel of destruction that they drop throughout the night. And there, I think maybe there's some spiritual object lesson in it, but mostly it's a lot of fun. Bob and I have a philosophy that, um, Jesus used object lessons. He said, Hey, you see that fig tree over there? Um, and so our teaching is very object based, especially for this age group. And then the other thing we have a philosophy concerning is the length of time we have attention, which is basically the number of years you are old. So if we're designing an event for seven to 12 year old girls, we're going to take that average of nine or 10 and say, we have about nine or 10 minutes to teach or lead worship or play a game with them. And then we got to shake it up and do something different. And that's been really fruitful for us. It mandates that we get biblical truth in there very concisely and creatively, but um, it's been really effective. It's exciting now to see girls who were, you know, at our tween events that are now moms and bringing their daughters to those events and discipling their girls as moms. It's beautiful. That's, that's good to see. So I'm, I'm talking with Dana Gresh from Pure Freedom Ministry and, and the most recent uh, Cedarville University Alumnus of the Year. And we're talking about uh, Pure Freedom at this point. So you, you mentioned to a little bit ago about the importance of the message and being sensitive to um, how it's being delivered. So how, it, so how this, the young ones uh, receive it. How do, how, how do you do that in a way that is not threatening uh, to, the, to the hearers? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> first of all, I do think that the message of truth will be offensive to some, and there's no way around that. Um, I, and uh, if, if I could go back 25 years, would I choose to be a voice for sex and gender from a biblical perspective, if I knew what was headed our way, probably not. Cause I get some really, uh, we have some really rough days with even believers, not happy with how we share God's truth. I'll get a letter from a mom that says, I really love your teaching. I love your ministry. I love how you get girls into God's word. I love how you make them feel their masterpiece is created by God. But yeah. could you please not use the word purity? Could you please not use the word modesty? Well, we listen to that, but then we go to God's word and we notice that he uses those words. Yes. And so we're not going to not use those words, but I would say in our marketing and stuff, we would, instead of the word modesty, we would use the word dignity or appropriate. 
Now, when we get to that verse in the teaching, we're going to use the word modesty, but uh, here's what this all comes down to is this people believe the lie that the Bible's teaching on sex is outdated. Mm. Even Christians believe it. Um, do a survey, you know, the number of Christians who are, are having sex before marriage or living together before marriage is heartbreaking. And what you, you know, just to debunk that, all you have to do is go to first, uh, Corinthians six and seven, where the apostle Paul really describes it's, it's, not the easiest passage of scripture to dissect, but he really describes the, the people, the believers in the church of Corinth. And, um, he says, uh, such were some of you, such were what, um, sexually immoral adulterers, men who practiced homosexuality. So this is, this is the culture upon which the apostle Paul said, marriage is to be honored above all one man, one woman. That's what God designed the sexual experience to be in. And so it wasn't in style. Then homosexuality was rampant. Pedophilia was rampant in the Greek and Roman culture. Um, cross-dressing. We have, we have paintings of, uh, uh, what's his name? Hercules in a, there's a Renaissance painting of Hercules cross-dressing because cross-dressing was such a common thing in the Greek oh, wow. and Roman culture. Almost all men had a, a wife, but that was for procreation. Any of their recreational sex was with a, with males. So very bisexual culture, mm. the guidelines of God's word for sex and gender were never in style. That's the truth. So when you say, Hey, how do we do this so that people aren't offended or it's been offensive forever. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean we aren't tender, wise care on these topics of transgenderism and homosexuality. I think the Christian conversation has not at times been as kind as it needs to be. We need to not only have conviction, but we have compassion. We must have compassion. If we yeah. don't have both of those, yeah. we are not fulfilling the full tr truth. And that's not truth at all. Yeah, and that's that's really my my point. Um, to to offend people is not the issue, but if it's it's how the message is communicated, so they have ears to hear, and that they yeah. could the Lord can use that. And and yep, so exactly that's a balance that uh, obviously you do really well. Um, we we try. It's hard. <laughs> Well, I don't know how I don't know how you do it um, on a on a regular basis because I know it's easy in this in this society that we live in to be uh, criticized and ridiculed for your your position on whatever the topic is. I mean, we live in a very divisive culture right now. It doesn't matter what the topic yeah. is. So I'm sure you're getting it from both sides. So I just encourage you to, to stay the course. I know you will. Um, as we just started the, the, uh, our conversation today, um, before we really got into the podcast, uh, we were talking about um, uh, pure freedom and how it was impacted with COVID. Let's go back to that uh, briefly, because um, pure freedom was a purely touring ministry. How have you adapted to um, ministering to boys and girls when you're not touring uh, across mm -hmm. the country? Well, that was, that could have been devastating to us. 80% of our income and viability to minister was, we have a tour bus. It's actually powered by Cedarville. We have a big, beautiful wrap 
and everywhere we go with true girl and born to be brave tour, um, the Cedarville logo goes with us. We're so proud of that. And, um, that was our primary source of outreach as well as our primary source of viability to minister. So the pandemic took that away in one swift day. We thought maybe for two weeks, then we thought maybe for a tour season, but now it's going to be nearly two years and we're praying Lord willing, we'll get back on the road in 2022. Um, but God was so good. He prepared us and this just gives me chills to say this, but I have, you know, I'm sort of the face of the ministry, but Bob, my husband is the CEO and the godly brains of the ministry. And in 2019, January, he wrote on the dry erase board in his office that we needed to um, be prepared to fulfill the mission that God has given to us without events, if necessary. And I remember when he wrote that up there, just thinking, we're an (laughs) event-based ministry. Why would we not do events? That's insanity. But we trusted God's spirit speaking to him. And um, we began to learn how to use Zoom. And we were already doing online Bible studies, but we beefed that up. And we really turned to making that a significant part of our ministry. And we learned how to do digital ministry. And um, we started talking about a subscription box program where we could get discipleship tools in the hands of tween girls and tween boys that they could be in God's word every single day, not just for two and a half hours with us one night a a year when we show up in the tour bus, but they were dreams. Cause how would we find the time to do these things? Well, the pandemic gave us that time. And last year we had 10,000 moms and daughters study God's word in six week online Bible study courses with us through the course of that pandemic. We do not see that slowing this year. We see that increasing. We started a podcast for true girls. So moms and daughters can be in God's word. That's in partnership with revive our hearts every single day or every single week. Rather, we have a podcast every week. We started a subscription box program where we have discipleship tools, daily devos. So what should have destroyed us has actually rebuilt us. And thankfully donors saw the need that we would be planting truth in the next generation and have walked through us faithfully to fill that gap of losing 80% of our income. And they've helped to keep us viable. I just get chills when I think of it because God moved in my husband's heart to prepare us. We were online with digital ministry within days of the shutdown for the pandemic. And it has just launched us into something entirely new. And so Dana, we've been talking about the ministry. We've been talking about great things that are going on. Um, there have been going on and, and Lord willing will continue, but I need to dial us back a little bit because at the, at the central aspect of what you're doing lies your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you share your spiritual journey and when he became central into, in your life? Well, when he first became central in my life was my mother came to know the Lord through a really beautiful but difficult thing. I was four and a half years old. My brother was in the hospital dying of spinal meningitis. Mm -hmm. And my mom had grown up in, you know, churches that talked about Jesus, but didn't talk about the gospel. So she'd never heard the gospel. She'd never heard about sin. She'd never heard Jesus died for her sin. Well, a pastor was doing visits while she was sitting next to her son, who was his six month old, my six month old brother, who was in a coma expected 
not to recover. And a pastor came in and said, I don't know if God will heal your baby, but I know he wants to heal your heart. And he shared with her the gospel. She heard it for the first time, believed it. Her heart was just ready. Her, the soil of her heart was just prime for it. And, um, my family has never been the same from that day. My mom's faith. And, and she fully, she said, Jesus, I want this. I've wanted this my whole life. I need this. And she, she, she said, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to pray about my baby now, but I feel like now I can. So if you'll heal him, will you just help me to have the faith to believe? And this baby that was in a coma lifted his head, looked at her and smiled. Oh my goodness. And then went back into the coma. And the doctors were like, you're crazy. Your, your mom hormones or, you know, um, did they see this? No, they did okay. not. But she just kept saying, and she was telling everyone the gospel. You know, she was like, um, Mary, uh, the Samaritan woman that like yeah. ran from the well and said, yeah. you have to come see what the Lord has done. That was my mom from the first day of salvation. And the Lord did heal my brother and he did walk and he did talk and he was doing college level calculus by seventh grade. He's brilliant. He's on the board of pure freedom and he does all crunches, all the numbers. He's just magnificent. But the bigger story is that she ran from that place, a testimony for Christ. And through that, of course, I came to know the Lord shortly after that, not long after that, and then had that call on my life since I was eight years old to serve him. But I'll tell you what, it was when I was 26 years old and I was really in a place where for many years I tried, to, I think about how much I loved chapel at Cedarville. I loved it. My favorite part of the day. People tell me all the time when they're considering Cedarville chapel every day. That sounds really, I'm like, you're going to love it. Trust me. It's the best part. It's the community. It's the DNA. It's you will love it. But what didn't happen in my heart, which is no fault of Cedarville's, this is just the battle the enemy brought into my life was I didn't feel worthy of being in that chapel. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel worthy of being in my church. I didn't feel worthy of serving the Lord until I was 26 years old. And something clicked when I was 26, when I was driving down the highway, listening to a radio program, which today would be a podcast. And I heard a woman say the number one thing on a teenage girl's mind when she's talking to her mom about sex is mom, did you wait? And I thought, ah, I'm going to have to answer that question for my daughters. Yeah. And I pulled to the side of the road and I said, okay, Jesus, I have been trying so hard for all these years to do penance for the sin that I committed in my high school years. And I believe that your blood is enough for everyone but me. How do I fix that? And right about then the, I heard them start to talk about that you can't, you're, you can't hide your sin. If you have sin in your past, your daughter isn't the first one that needs to hear about it. Your pastor's wife or your best friend, you need to tell someone. And they talked about James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another, and then you will be healed. So I drove home. I got in the bedroom with my husband because the children were tucked away in bed. I wanted to be alone with him. And it took me three hours to finally confess my past to him. This woman he'd been married to for five years who he thought was the driven snow because our commitment 
to purity was so high. And when I told him, he wrapped his arms around me. And for the first time, I felt God's forgiveness. And he said, I don't think I need to say this, but I think you need to hear it. I forgive you. And it, it, it felt a little bit like God's voice in my heart. And I cannot underestimate that God is the only one who for, can forgive us of whatever yeah. our past is. But he's given us the body of believers to be the hands and feet of our healing work. And we must drag our sin into the light. That's what Paul writes about in first and second Corinthians, drag your sin into the light. And that is what catapulted me into a loving, not a, not a legalistic relation. And it wasn't like my relationship with Jesus was legalistic before. It's just that there was a part of me that couldn't really accept the fullness of the grace and at the age of 26, he finally wrestled me to the point where I understood that. And that has made all the difference. So I try to live in radical vulnerability. That's what Bob and I call it. We don't try to hang the laundry out in the front yard, but people know there's some in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I think, how the body of Christ needs to live. We're not a country club. We are a hospital full of sin sick people. And we need each other. Yeah, we, we do. And, um, but I, I have one final question. Uh, at the core of Cedarville Stories podcast, our goal is to tell Cedarville Stories for God's glory. How do you believe or hope that you are bringing God glory in your life uh, today? Well, I hope that everything I do is giving him glory. I've been called more recently to just put it all on the table. It all belongs to him. I want to honor and glorify him. And I want to be, I want to, I want to do in people's lives, what Cedarville has done for me. Um, when I left Cedarville, when I graduated, my professors didn't say, Oh, we're done with you. That's not how it works at Cedarville. No, it's a family. And when God put it on my heart to write my first book, I wrote a book proposal and I sent it to one of my professors and I said, what do you think? And she got some of her students to rip it apart and tear it apart and send me back advice and fix it. And then she said, perfect it. And then I'll hand deliver it for you. And she hand delivered it to Moody Publishers for me, my Cedarville professor. I didn't know she had a relationship with anyone at Moody. That was a God thing. And then as I've written them, I've turned time and time again to my professors at Cedarville and said, I'm stuck a little bit theologically here. So I'll call one of my profs from that taught me, you know, the book of Acts or New Testament survey or whatever. I still will say, will you do a theological review of this book? And I pay them in Starbucks cards. It's pathetic. but <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I guess I'm saying that because you don't get that except at a place where the mission is beyond the organization. Yeah, right. The Cedarville University mission is not about Cedarville University. Cedarville University is about the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the great commission. And so they're not finished with you when you're finished. There's a passing of the baton that they're, that they have given. And the Lord has me now in my fifties in a place where I'm thinking like that. I'm collecting women and I'm saying my interns, I get one year with them. How do I pass the baton? And I never want to be finished with them. I want to, I want to equip them to carry the faith into the next generation. And so in some ways I learned that from Cedarville. And in, I think that one of the greatest ways I can glorify God is not necessarily 
me being an author, me being a speaker, me being a podcaster, but equipping others to go forth and fulfill the great commission in whatever way that God would have them do that. I, I thank you for sharing your story about everything today on the podcast. And I look forward to following Pure Freedom and you and Bob uh, in the days to come. Thanks also for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to be with you. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week and we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.